Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast. My name is Stephanie Vlakis, and I'm an expert certified fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist, a multiple award-winning virtual fertility and pregnancy nutrition clinic serving thousands from around the world, and of course, the host of this pod, Fertility Friendly Food. This podcast is dedicated to all things health and nutrition in the world of fertility, reproductive health, and pregnancy. Each week, I bring you practical snack-sized episodes to help improve your lifestyle on your trying-to-conceive journey, alongside guest expert interviews to help inspire you to learn and grow whilst you grow your family. Welcome back, everyone, and I am so excited to be bringing you these new format of episodes, sharing some stories from our very own community, from the Dietologist and Fertility Friendly Food and our Instagram page. So I was thrilled to hear from our guest today, Rebecca, who is a very delightful client of ours at the Dietologist, and she's more than happy to say so. And today, Beck is going to share her unique story of secondary infertility, navigating PCOS, trialing Ozempic prior to conceiving, her experiences with ovulation, and the ups and downs of trying to grow your family. We are so grateful to Beck for coming on and sharing her story with us. As always, super important to show the utmost kindness, respect, and warmth towards our guests. I know you will. You're all fabulous humans. This is just one insight into one person's story. It is certainly not medical advice, and we should absolutely avoid comparing ourselves to each other on this path. We're all on our own unique paths to growing our family. So just really important to make a few notes before we get into our chat with Beck. So without any further ado, do a huge warm welcome to our guest Beck. Welcome Beck. Hi. <laughs> I know you're feeling a little nervy but we're excited to have you and I know the community will welcome you warmly to the podcast and for being so kind and generous to share a bit about your story. So maybe let's start at the top. Can you introduce yourself, maybe share a little bit more about who you are and your life so people can get to know you? I'm um... Rebecca. I'm 32. I work full-time as a service delivery manager. I'm married, been married for 11 years this year, and I have an eight-year-old, or will be eight-year-old very, very shortly, little girl. I can't believe she's eight. (laughs) I know. It's in like four weeks and she is counting down. I swear when I first met you, you were like, I have a six-year-old daughter. It's been a while. It's been a while. (laughs) It's been a while. (laughs) It has. It has. So tell us a bit about your fertility and preconception conception story to date. So maybe let's go back to before your daughter. So tell us a bit more about when you had decided to grow your family, what that looked like for you. Did you have any health issues that you knew about going into it? Or any concerns? Yeah, just paint that picture for us maybe. Two very different stories, and I think we've chatted about this, but with Audrey, we had started conceiving probably two or three years before she was conceived. And I had been diagnosed with PCOS at about 16 years old. But it was very much around cycles. So my periods were really irregular. When I did have them, they were very extreme. 
And it was very much like, oh, you have PCOS, go on the pill, problem solved. Don't need to worry about it until it's time to conceive. So when my husband and I decided that we wanted to have a baby, I knew that this was going to be a concern. And so we reached out to a GP at the time who referred us to the women's hospital and we went through a reproductive endocrinologist and a dietitian at that point in time. And that was very heavily weight loss focused. We won't help you until you reach XBMI. You just need to lose weight, take metformin, just lose weight, low GI diet, you know, and they would not assist until I think the BMI was under 30 from memory. And so there was just a lot of checking in with them every like four or five months and checking in on weight loss and not a lot of support or guidance or even testing. I think they did check that I was ovulating and they did a sperm analysis and they said both of those were fine, just go away and lose weight. So two to three years of that and have a very vivid memory of hitting the BMI target and going into the hospital to see the endocrinologist to be excited because the plan had been that once I hit the BMI target, we would start clofamine and he was on holidays and there was a different reproductive endocrinologist who went, no, 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 the target is this other number and I can't prescribe you that, which was gut-wrenchingly devastating because you had gone in, you had hit the target, like I'd hit the number that they wanted and then it was just like, no, we're not going to help you. And I was like, where's the guy? He's on holidays. Um, I was like, can we call him? Can we check the file? Like, come on, guys. We had a plan. We've we've hit the target. Um, yeah. So leading into that as hitting the target, I'd lost about 30 kilos. That resulted in some health problems. I got gallstones. I had my gallbladder out. There were some complications with that. So that was sort of that story. And then that whole process of losing weight and seeing the dietitian and all of that was probably like two to three years. And so ironically, as things go in the fertility world, I had made a complaint about that endocrinologist. I was in tears and, and some receptionist came out and was like, we'll just book you in with him when he comes back from leave in six weeks. I was four weeks pregnant and knew it the day I saw him six weeks later which is that's just how it goes, right? Countless stories like that. And we had at that point, so when we saw the previous person who was, you know, didn't want to help us, we had decided we were going to take a break. We were getting married in a few months. We were just not, we're just like, we'll just take a break, right? We won't worry about it. We'll go back and see him, but we're going to take a break. We're going to get married. We're going to do all these other things and we'll circle back in a little bit because it had been like two, three years at this point in it. It was exhausting. And then, yeah, boom, baby. So I was actually like a little over three months pregnant at our wedding, which is crazy. But, you know, that's his life. That's how things work out. Oh, COVID. I think all, all of the brides were pregnant from my clinic at least. I remember it well. Everyone's like, yeah, I'll bring my baby to the wedding at this point. I don't care. And I'm like, yep, you go. <laughs> <laughs> and how was your pregnancy with Audrey and postpartum? Oh, hmm. So public pregnancy, public hospital, her pregnancy was pretty good. I had some bleeding at around seven weeks while I was on holidays to visit my mum. Nothing to see there. That was all fine. Then it was a fairly consistent, stable pregnancy the whole time. I think the worst part of pregnancy was being told that it was a high-risk pregnancy. I don't think we mentioned this before now, but I'm a larger-bodied person 
And so being told that it was a high-risk pregnancy and that I would have a consistent OBG and then every time I had a hospital appointment, it was a different person and they just wanted to rehash decisions that had already been made every hospital visit. I was very firm in that I wanted a natural birth. And due to the complications that had happened when my gallbladder was out, terrified of having a C-section, terrified. And they were pushing for early epidurals and all of this intervention because it was high risk. And I would have the conversation and we'd walk through it and then we'd have the conversation again the next time. And we had that on repeat from everything to early epidurals to whether or not I had gestational diabetes to all sorts of things. It was just super inconsistent care. But the pregnancy itself was fine. There wasn't any major complications. She did not want to be born, though. <laughs> so she was due 19th of March, and she was actually born just after 3 a.m. on the 4th of April. Wow. Yes. So I pushed the limits you know, take medical advice from your doctors. I had an NHS qualified midwife supporting me. So I pushed the limits of the hospital regulations for induction because again, terrified of a C-section. And yeah, 4th of April. She was almost born on my mum's birthday, actually. Oh my gosh. There you go. Yeah. They're very close together and they're good friends. I bet they could have been in nine days, but no. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. What a story. And then postpartum with Audrey, what was that like? So I don't think we mentioned that, but she ended up being born by an emergency C-section. After a long induction, I think I was in labor for two days. So she was born by an emergency C-section. The first couple of days in the hospital were really good. But when we came home, I had horrendous epidural headaches for almost two weeks. I couldn't sit up without being in migraine. Luckily, I had my mum visiting for support. And once we made it through those first two weeks, things were much better and it was very chill. Like my pregnancy minus labour C-section and the two weeks of epidural headache and postpartum were were relatively fine. I did probably breastfed for six months. Incredible. And then post-breastfeeding, put on a lot of weight. So that was over the following probably two years. And at this point, we had started trying for another baby. We knew that post-breastfeeding, PCOS, good chance that if you, the quicker you try and conceive again, the better the chances. Or at least that's what we thought that didn't happen. So at this point, I think we sort of transitioned to secondary fertility and conception of what we're trying to do now, which is our second child. So we spent a long time trying to do it on our own. Because of that experience with Audrey's conception, I didn't reach out for help because I knew the answer would just be, you just need to lose weight. And what's the point of going to someone for them to tell you what you already know? So probably five years of, I'm just going to try and figure this all out on my own with no support and yeah, no baby. Yeah. And then found an amazing GP. Mm incredible GP who said, you know, there are specialists out there who will help you irrespective of your size and who will help you with that particular aspect of fertility as well. And and I suppose that's about when you come in too, because she referred us to the fertility specialist who referred us to you. And I think you've talked about this on Instagram, but having a team of specialists around you makes such a difference. It's invaluable. It's work, it's appointments, it's time, it's money. Nobody's going to sugarcoat any of that stuff. But 
I guess if you were to compare it to your situation now with supportive team around you navigating secondary fertility concerns versus trying with Audrey and maybe not having the right players on your team, the experience, would you say, is quite different? It's night and day. We felt so alone trying to conceive Audrey and just no one really wanted to help or investigate anything. And now we have this whole team around her. I have two GPs, an exercise physiologist, a physiotherapist. I see an osteopath. I see you. I have the fertility specialist. I feel like I'm forgetting somebody, but it's quite a laundry list of people. And I think, I think you, your comment earlier was is really important. That's not cheap, right? To have that level of team around you is not cheap and it is time consuming. Um, and I'm very, very lucky that I have an incredibly supportive workplace who are very flexible and I have a very flexible job that allows me to flex my time so that I can do all of that. And I'm very grateful for that. But yeah, night and day experience, this side and doing it second time round and having that team for the last, I think it's been 18 months, nearly two years, is is like this side, it's it's supportive and we're not just talking about weight we're talking about health and we're talking about what we can do and there is investigations happening and there's tracking happening and so it's it's not just been okay you need to lose weight come back when you've lost weight Mm, exactly and the last say couple of years on this you know at least when I've been part of your story to your second baby maybe give us a brief recap about some of the experiences you've traversed and maybe the unique feelings I guess or secondary fertility is so not discussed and I feel a lot of the times people navigating secondary infertility are quite displaced in the community because people that haven't yet had their first child feel as though well you know you've got a kid I'm still trying to get a kid and so you feel excluded from that conversation. And so you can be simultaneously so grateful to have the child that you have but still yearn to give them a sibling, still want to grow your family, and that still be equally as important and valuable as somebody who wants to have their first child. So perhaps you could share a little bit with our listeners about the difference in that experience. I know we talked about having a great team and how much enhanced and supported you feel this time. But, yeah, I guess let us in a little bit if you would like to. I think you you sort of nailed it, right? You feel very torn. So you, you feel in, incredibly grateful and thankful to have a child and some people don't get any children of their own and that you should just feel grateful, right? At least you've got one. But on the other hand, you know, it's really hard. Audrey wants a sibling desperately. She wants a little sister and she has lots of friends at school who have, you know, little sisters and little brothers and we go on play dates and they're there and, you know, all she wants in the whole world. And not being able to give that to her is um, is probably the hardest part. And we've chosen to bring her on the journey. So we've been very open and very honest about, you know, not everybody can have babies easily. And mm. I mean, and we've navigated, you know, for a few years now, the fun questions, right? Can't we just go and get one? <laughs> Why can't we just go and get one? And so we navigate a lot of that. And I find that the difficult part, you know, the first time around, it was my husband and I against the world, right? It was us together. 
This time, there's a third party who's invested in this and who doesn't necessarily have the emotional capacity to understand how difficult it is. And that makes it much harder um, trying to navigate that and those feelings. And, you know, a month or months, just feeling a bit like a failure as a mum because you want to give your child this thing that they want and you just can't. Mm, Absolutely. And I, I know, I mean, many of our clients that we see at the dietologist are navigating secondary fertility. And I recall another person saying to me, I really want to give my child a sibling and I, I want to have more kids. And But I also don't like how much time it's taking for me being away from the child that I do have to go to appointments and go to blood tests and get up in the morning and get them to daycare earlier or school earlier or whatever you need to do. It's such, like you said, torn, conflicted, like you always feel this pulling internally all the time. So you sort of wonder if if you just kind of gave up, and I think we've all been there, right, um, if you could give them more, even if it's not necessarily time for appointments but energy, right, emotional availability, mm-hmm. All of those sorts of things that come into parenting because when you're already running emotionally high and in my, you know, in a lot of cases packed full of of hormones, (laughs) you're on medications and you're going through cycles and you're doing all these things, you know, your temper is shorter. Your capacity to hold their emotions is shorter. Mm. It's, It's a lot. Yeah, absolutely. What have you found most challenging navigating this preconception fertility health journey, maybe from even before you conceived Audrey, just in general? So I thought when you sent through the questions, I thought I had an answer for this. I thought my answer would have been, and we've talked about this extensively, navigating the food preferences in our house. Yes. <laughs> um, we've talked about this extensively. I have an incredibly picky husband and a child who has some sensory issues around food. And so navigating food in our house has always been difficult. But I don't think that's been the most difficult thing. I think the most difficult thing upon reflection over the last couple of weeks is the internal battle. You want to do the right thing. You want to be eating right and exercising and doing all of the things that you need to do. Mm. And you're just so tired and exhausted and emotionally torn apart that it's really hard. And then battling that almost self-hate because I know that I want a baby and I know that I want to do this. And why can't I just eat right? And why can't I just go for a walk? And why is this just so hard? Mm. and then you just end up in this back and forth with yourself. And so then it's like, I'm going to start again tomorrow. I'm going to get this right. And then you feel like crap because you didn't get it all right yesterday. And I think we've talked about that all or nothing mentality and trying to just do the best that you can with each decision and not withholding things and all of that. Yeah. It's so interesting how you see your own story and how I see your story because I think from my perspective, and obviously I know Beck better than just this podcast, everybody, um, from my perspective, I think the biggest challenge you faced is weight stigma. I think you've faced so much weight stigma by the healthcare professionals that you've navigated up until more recently. But just thinking back to when you tried to conceive Audrey and the treatment that you got, I just wonder how much better things could have been then 
I mean, obviously, that's a, you wouldn't have exactly who Audrey is if we changed anything, which we wouldn't want. But I just look back and I just go, oh, man, if somebody just paid attention to you as a human being rather than look, looked at, you know, the number on the scale or the BMI or whatever and talked about your health behaviours and, and what you're struggling with rather than just flicking you off. I just... Uh, yeah, that's just so challenging. Yeah, I think if the experience conceiving Audrey through the health system had been different, and it's something I ponder occasionally, I wonder if I had reached out for help sooner. But I also think it's very fortuitous timing because we've moved mm. interstate a lot. And so I just happened to be in the right place with the right GP mm. who knew the right person to refer me to. And reflecting on what you've just said, that's really disappointing, right? Because I shouldn't have to be in the right place with the right person to who knows who to refer me to to get help. Every GP, every fertility specialist, every dietitian should be able to support somebody, no matter their weight, to an end goal. Because ultimately, it's my body and my choice. So you should be advising me of the risk and then ultimately letting me make my decisions based on that. And that's the experience that I've had this time. It has been very led into that, that it is my body and it is my choice and it is what I want to do. And that's not without its risks, but... You're going in eyes wide open. Yes, eyes wide open. That's the perfect summary. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you've jumped through a lot of hoops in the last 12, 18 months on the way to adding to your family. And we haven't really touched on all that many of them. We've kind of just gotten up to date with Audrey. Can you talk us through some of the the hurdles you've navigated? Because we've had to walk this delicate line between, you know, let's not hyper-focus on body weight and weight loss, but simultaneously pursuing weight loss. From your perspective, what are some of those key kind of hurdles you've had to jump over the last, say, 18 months or so? Maybe we'll go through the story a little bit. Um So 18 months ago, I met an amazing fertility specialist who is healthy at every size and approach. The disappointing thing I think for me or the most frustrating thing for me is that due to a number of previous surgeries with some complications, I have some internal adhesions that make another surgery risky. So it's not just my weight. There are some medical complications associated with what will be a repeat C-section. You've probably nailed it. There's been a balance of what do we need to do to have a baby and really the only thing that is 100% within our control is weight. That's arguable. <laughs> yeah, it's not really. I take it back. It's not 100% in our control. That. <laughs> I think when you have insulin-resistant PCOS and all of those other things that come with that, it's not always 100% in your control. It's a mental battle don't know much about other people with PCOS, but I know being insulin resistant, there is this constant internal battle between knowing that you should, I'm getting a bit into food here, but knowing you should manage your carbs and constantly craving carbs. Um, And those two things being a bit of an internal battle. So where we sort of started was we would take a weight loss approach because that was the thing that we could somewhat control. And so we did six months of a Zempic. And that worked really well. And I know that that worked really well for me because it was like my body was functioning correctly. I could have McDonald's and not put on two kilos that week, right? 
But if I put in the effort and I exercised and I ate well, and I mean, not 100% perfect all the time, just normally well, Mm. you know, a couple of meals that you might put in that, put quotation marks, people at home can't see the quotation marks, discretionary foods, you know, and a mix of a lot of good food, just well, not perfect, not diet culture, just well. Mm. I would lose weight and if I didn't, I just wouldn't gain weight. And that was life-changing. It was like, oh, my God, my body is just working like a normal body would. Whereas before that, if I had, and I hate all this language, so I apologize in advance, but if I had a bad week, I'd put on two or three kilos. And then, you know, you've put all this effort in, you lose a couple of kilos, it takes a month to lose like two kilos. To claw that all back, right, you just constantly balancing putting on a couple of kilos and then having to work twice as hard for the next four weeks to lose that weight the Zempic just felt like my body was normal it was a bit rough like the side effects not fun but things like not having cravings like my cravings just they just went away I didn't want to snack all day every day all night every night they just went away so we did six months of a Zempic We lost 20 kilos in that time, and then we decided to go down the path of cycle tracking. So that's what we did. Before you move on, sorry, I thought I'd just jump in. So when Beck was doing Ozempic, she was instructed medically not to conceive in that time. Oh, yes. Good call out. There is not a lot of research around Ozempic and conception. So we we don't conceive on these Zempic as medically instructed. Good call. Yeah. I was like, just before people get carried away. <laughs> Please don't go and make babies on the Zempic. Not a great idea. I think there's some studies on rabbits and the rabbits have heart defects, which is why the recommendation is currently, please don't. Okay. So post Zempic, we decided to do some cycle tracking and initially and just on your note about Zempic, there's actually a weaning period to come off a Zempic before you can safely conceive. Yeah. It was probably between seeing the fertility specialist, getting the prescription, getting on the Zempic, the, the wind up and the wind down. I think that whole time was like nine months, nearly 10 months, start to finish. So we started some cycle tracking and we officially started cycle tracking I think it was November. And our first cycle, immediately, I was ovulating, but way too late in the cycle. Mm. That was a blow. To know that you are ovulating, and I don't know how anyone else feels about this, right, but I'm, I'm going to dive into some feelings mm. here. When you find out that you have been ovulating and potentially conceiving, but that the time between when you ovulate and when a period is due is not long enough for a potential fertilized egg to implant and have a thick enough lining to implant, you start questioning how many miscarriages you've had and didn't know about. And I don't know if it's like a medical thing, but I think we talked about it actually. I think I was the one to first explain it to you. Yeah. You start asking yourself a lot of questions and that, that whole period was really rough. I just remember being really tied up in the question how many times have I potentially could have been pregnant and I wasn't because of this thing that we didn't know about? And even going back again, how many times did I potentially could have been pregnant when we were conceiving Audrey mm. and weren't because of this thing that we didn't know about and nobody tested it back then? And so that was really rough. Mm. Then we did a second tracking cycle 
and sort of same thing. So we were like 14, more than 14 days into that second tracking cycle and my estrogen levels were doing nothing. Mm. And so then we started mid-cycle, which was a bit rough, letrozole, particularly because we were about to go on an international holiday too. So the timing was really nicely lined up for a standard cycle and then we basically reset the cycle right in the middle. But that actually ended up working out perfectly. I ovulated the day we left and I tested for pregnancy the day we came back. So the timing ended up being okay, but it wasn't supposed to be like that. So we did those two cycles. Then we had a break over Christmas because the clinic was closed over Christmas and we saw the specialist again in January. And just for those playing at home, we didn't really have a break over Christmas. We just didn't have the support of the clinic over that period. So we just did on our own, which was less likely, but we weren't going to give up a cycle after waiting this long. Absolutely. So we did that. So we're on cycle four, five? Yeah, we're in the middle of, I think, cycle four now. And that's really exhausting. So we talked a little bit before about appointments. It's multiple blood tests, multiple times a week, early in the morning. And that's very hit and miss. If you can find a clinic that'll let you book an appointment, that's great. But you don't always get told what day you need to go in with enough time to book an appointment. And so like from a work perspective, having a really supportive employer has helped because some days you'll go in and you'll be out in 10 minutes. And other days you'll walk in the door and you know you're going to be there for two hours. Yeah, so I've taken many meetings from a pathology waiting room or from the car outside a pathology waiting room. But, you know, thus is life at this point. Mm. But I think we're just at that point now. And that don't anyone who is trying to conceive fertility issues or not mm. will struggle with is that constant two-week wait yeah. and then the constant letdown. Um, waiting for ovulation, then waiting for pregnancy test, waiting for ovulation, waiting for pregnancy test. Cycle, 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 cycle. Yeah. Cycle, 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 um, you know, and the rigidity of like text messages telling you exactly when to have sex really takes the romance out of it, right? Yeah. This is a text message. Please have intercourse <laughs> tonight, tomorrow morning and tomorrow night. I imagine those text messages are being read out by like one of those people who have like an ad voice. Yeah, <laughs> the train announcer voice. Next stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next stop, evening sex. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Yes, you've screenshot me so many of those messages. (laughs) The the sex instructions always give me a little little giggle. It shouldn't because, I mean, that's what it takes to get a baby in there, but you're right. It's very orchestrated and, yeah, unsexy. Particularly if you've had a long day. You're tired and you probably ordinarily wouldn't have had sex because everybody's tired, everybody's cranky. You might have even had a fight because relationships are like that. And then it's like, oh, right, we need to have sex tonight. (laughs) We're on the clock. I mean, and I've had a couple where I've had two grandparents pass away Mm. over this last six-month period that we've been doing this cycle tracking. And I'm not even kidding to say that I have had an AM phone call to say, I'm really sorry, grandparent has passed away today, and a text message telling me that I need to have sex tonight Mm. on the same day. Mm. I feel like that is such an insight into how hard it can be to layer the facets of your life when you're trying to conceive. Like you're a parent. 
Like I remember at one point you were doing stuff at Audrey's school and then you got your work life, then you got your relationship, then you got your family, then you've got your friends, you've got other networks and things to worry about, and then you've got like fertility. It's almost like a cloche over all of it and it just touches everything in some way whether it be your time, your energy, your emotions, whatever, touches everything. And then you're just constantly juggling it all. And well, I don't know who said the saying, but, you know, when you're juggling, some balls are glass and some balls are rubber and they'll bounce. And you just got to hold on to the glass balls. And if a plastic ball drops, we've just got to be okay with it. And I think that's just an awful but perfect example of that exact situation of it colouring every element of your life. Yeah. And it's such a an emotional roller coaster too because you go through that emotional roller coaster of like you've just been told your grandparent has passed away and you're absolutely devastated and then a couple of hours later you get this text message and then your brain is like I really don't want to but if I don't I'm throwing mm. hundreds of dollars in the bin mid-cycle meds cycle tracking costs costs for appointments all of that is really expensive and so then you have to make a call do I suck it up and get the job done or do I throw potentially, let's call it about a grand in the bin between all the medications and the supplements and the tracking fees and the, all of it. It's a hard call. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a lot. Going back to nutrition just briefly, if we, if we can, what do you think has been the easiest thing about nutrition changes when it comes to either general health or PCOS or supporting conception? What have you found or what's been something that's been surprising but in a positive way along the way? The thing I loved the most and I think it was one of the first things in the online course that comes with the full program when you see you one-on-one is the three different colours. If that's the only thing you do, just put three different colours on every plate of vegetables and it really changes your mindset about how to get vegetables in your day because like breakfast breakfast is the hard one you know you're busy you've got to get kids to school you've got to get to work you don't think to put vegetables with breakfast you think eggs you think toast you think yogurt and cereal I'm not a yogurt person but you think yogurt you don't think I'm actually just going to add two slices of tomato to this or I'm going to put I'm going to cut up an apple and put it on the side of my plate And just having that goal in the back of your mind that the only thing I need to do is just add three different colors of veggie or fruit on this plate. There's no pressure there. There's no counting calories. I like meal planning, but sometimes it's not even meal planning involved with that because you can meal plan all you like, but if you don't feel like eggs the third day in a row, it's not going to help you. But if you think to add even just a piece of fruit to your plate, it makes a difference. So that was something I found surprisingly easy. It's like one of the first things we teach, right, because it is that mindset shift of like, oh, you're not telling me to cut something out. You're not telling me to count something in a negative way. I think even in that very first module, it's count colours, not calories or something that I say. It's focusing on additions. It's focusing on visual appeal. It's focusing on getting you excited about something again. It's focusing on you know, not being perfect, like it's okay if you don't do the three every single meal, but just it's a moment to pause and reflect on what's in front of you before you eat it and how can I add something to this to make it a little bit more nourishing rather than the reverse which our society has kind of put onto us of what should you not be having, what should you cut out. There is a lot of no's when you're doing fertility, like 
sometimes with IVF, you're not allowed to have sex. You're not allowed to drink alcohol. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. There's all these no's. So I think it's so important to start with a big yes to something and an abundance rather than a restriction. I really like that. Like I really loved that being the first thing that I came across. And one of the first, I think, conversations that we had, if I'm right, was very yes orientated. And I think particularly now there's a lot of no because every you have two weeks of like, I mean, we've talked about no alcohol, but also when you're six months in and there's life and there's a work function or a girls' night or whatever, chuck in a glass of wine. But only when it's when that particular event happens to fall in the first half of the cycle. Because for every two weeks in a month, you might be pregnant. And so then you're very conscious of that. Okay, I'm not going to do the things that I shouldn't do because what if I am? And so you don't drink and you maybe don't have runny eggs and maybe you don't eat ham, even though you really feel like ham today. There's a lot of no's in that second half of every month. It's two weeks out of every month. I think I mentioned with you, I saw it on Instagram or TikTok somewhere, you know, don't say no to the thing you want. If you really, really want potato chips, if you really, really want chocolate, have it, but just put it on a piece of plate, measure how much it is that you're going to have, and then also put a piece of fruit, a handful of grapes, a carrot on that plate as well. Crowd it in with other things. And I've found that to be a helpful tool as well, to not actually have to say no to all those things that I'm craving, but to just fill myself up with other foods as well. It just fills you up so you're not hungry. Yeah. Well, you know, two squares of chocolate isn't a high volume amount of food, you know. So if you put two squares of chocolate on the plate, it's going to look a bit miserable, isn't it? So I think it's one of those situations that you're trying to create volume, satisfy that head hunger, if you will, for a particular food, but then also satisfying your tummy with fibre and, and other stuff. Look at you. You're coming for my job, Beck. You'll be the fertility dietitian next. <laughs> Career change. Might be less stressful. <laughs> yeah. I have a couple of clients like, Do you, are you hiring? Can I work for you? <laughs> There's a lot of study that goes into what you do. Student turns master. <laughs> and for those who don't already see Steph, I think you're part psychologist too, right? Because a lot of our conversations, they're about food, but food is tied so heavily into psychology. Mm-hmm. And, and how your brain works and how you function and, and all of that sort of stuff. And so is fertility. Mm-hmm. There are days where I jump on a call with you and it's been a shit week and it's been a shit day. Mm-hmm. And it's just nice to talk to someone who understands. Yeah, You see so many people in the exact same boat. You just get it. FYI, I'm not actually a psychologist, everyone. She was just being polite. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorical. <laughs> yeah. We do, we do. It's hard It's hard to articulate it to people who have never worked with us or perhaps have worked with a more traditional dietitian where, you know, you just go in and you learn about the low GI diet and see you by. It's a very different experience because we're, we're like with you. We're walking with you on your journey. We're, we're there for the cycle tracking. We're there for the IVF. We're there for the all those little tidbits. And I think that's one of the hardest parts of what we do. That's, it's hard to articulate how much people feel supported by that because it's almost like where you're like fertility support person alongside your partner and your, your real psychologist and your doctor and all these people. But we just have the luxury of having more time than some of these other healthcare professionals to be there for you in that way. And we feel honoured and privileged to be that person for many people and especially people doing things single as well, like they don't have a partner to talk to about it and maybe their friends don't get it. And so, you know, those people lean on us 
double (laughs) to be their support. And that's what we're here for. I think the support model that you have supports that. Mm. So I can't remember what the package is called. I'm sure you can insert it at some point. But having the Trello support, having that weekly check-in, particularly for accountability, or even just, I mean, the number of times I've said, I'm set. Do you have a good soup recipe? Or I'm really craving potato salad at the moment. Can you point me at like a good potato salad recipe that's going to fill that thing without being loaded with all the stuff? Mm. The Trello support's amazing. The seeing you regularly. I think I see you more than any of my other specialists. Mm. I see you more than the fertility specialist. I see you more than the GP because I see you regularly. And that in itself builds that relationship of support. And you have such an amazing understanding of everything that goes into what I'm going through Mm. down to, you know, we had a couple of issues, not a really big deal, but with, you know, not getting really explained to how the hormones are going to work and what levels they should be at and what that means. And then I happened to have the monthly call with you and we went through that and I was like, okay, I get it now and I understand that. I see you more than anybody else. And I think that builds the support, the way that you run the support model. Amazing. Thanks. I swear I didn't tell her to say that. <laughs> that was that was unscripted. Nothing is scripted. <laughs> I was like, somebody's going to listen to this and think, wow, this is sponsored content. <laughs> no sponsored content here. It's not sponsored. If anything, I'm paying Steph. <laughs> yes, unsponsored content. <laughs> Testament to how truly amazing you are. Oh, stop it. Making me blush. Like I've been working with you for 18 months and preface this with a lot of people maybe wouldn't work with you for 18 months. That's a very expensive investment, Mm -hmm. but you are worth every dollar. And so that's why I'm still here. Mm, Definitely not unsponsored, but I'm probably making it worse because they're all going (laughs) to think it's just sponsored now. gosh okay I wanted to talk about what's been really helpful for you on your path so you know the support we've talked about having a great healthcare provider obviously like having great people around you you've got a lovely supportive husband really good workplace I know not all workplaces are the same but if you feel comfortable to talk to your workplace that has made a huge difference because they know what's going on. If you don't feel comfortable to talk to them, I recommend getting a medical certificate from your specialist. That doesn't even have to say what you're going through. It can just say you're going through medical treatment and you need flexibility to attend morning appointments. Just having that supportive workplace, yep. that makes a huge difference, particularly with all the appointments. Supportive husband's great. Team of people around you is awesome. Sharing with friends, whether they're going through the same thing or not psychologist if you feel like you can do that is also very helpful putting tools in place right and and you and I talk about this a lot meal serve if you can make it really simple reduce the barriers yes particularly if you're a mum who works full time and like me has difficulty saying no so does the things at the school you know how many times have I been like Beck start saying no this is too many things (laughs) I'm not going to tell you that I just said yes to something else today. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) You're going to tell me on Trello this afternoon. (laughs) Probably. Um, Say no. Listen to Steph and say no. And I, I have started putting a lot of boundaries. Boundaries are really great. Put boundaries in place to protect yourself. Say no where you can. Yep. 
and just remove the barriers. So whether you you do all these things or not, right, full-time mum, full-time work employee, you might volunteer or have commitments that you really like, get that meal service. Mm-hmm. Order those protein bars if that works for you, mm. prepackaged snacks. And, you know, I feel torn. I, I get it. Help the environment buy the prepackaged snacks but sometimes you have to choose you over saving the whole world so sometimes you're going to buy the prepackaged snacks you're going through a really hard time just pick you for this one thing make your life easier to you i get it and i think yeah tools systems mindset don't be hard on yourself when you are having a bit of a crap day or a crap week or whatever your own mind is going to punish you enough you don't need anybody externally to come down on you nobody needs that I think it's very infantilizing how you know when we say accountability like a lot of people think that we're militant you know (laughs) and it's just like we're coming for you if you didn't do your homework this week kind of energy but it's not it's not like that at all it's really about helping you reframe and and we know that for many people your own mind will spiral more so it's more about helping you step out of that And instead of throwing the whole week away or the weekend away and going, oh, well, I've stuffed it up now, just forget about it or start again on Monday kind of energy. It's more about, okay, well, let's reframe to talk about the next meal, the next snack, the next, you know, we're sick, we can't expect much of ourselves, it's okay, we should, you know, once we're better, we can reevaluate again. And I think just having someone there to remind you of that is important as well. Perhaps we should round out with, If you could say something to those who are still in the wait for their baby, whether it be their first baby or their 10th baby, I don't know, what would be your words of wisdom for them, Beck? I think the theme through all of what we've said today and what I would say is to look after yourself. It's hard. Give yourself grace, whether that's a bath or booking that psychology appointment that you've put off. Give yourself the grace to be in that moment to look after yourself, to set the boundary, to use the tools at your disposal. And I know it's hard, but try not to feel guilty about it. Yeah. I have so many clients who are like, this appointment is my self-care time. And I'm like, yes, prioritizing your nutrition, be self-care. It's not just face masks and bubble baths. I mean, it can be if you want it to be, but it doesn't have to be. And book an appointment with Steph. (laughs) I swear, she's a loose cannon. I have done nothing here. (laughs) (laughs) oh thank you Beck. whether it's you know because i think you do one appointment single appointments yep or long-term programs investing time with you is worth every penny oh thank you Thank you so, so, so much to Beck for joining us and sharing your story and being vulnerable with me and our listeners today. I just know how much your story is going to touch this incredible community. For those listening who need additional support when it comes to your diet and lifestyle for fertility, do reach out to us. There's always a link in the show notes to apply for our one-on-one fertility and pregnancy nutrition coaching programs, which Beck did refer to with our expert team of dietitians here at The Dietologist. I really hope you loved this new style of episode. I'm so looking forward to bringing you more of your unique and incredible stories in this season of fertility-friendly food. So if you love it, let me know. Let me know what resonated with you from Beck's story. Would love to hear from you. DM me on Instagram at the underscore 
dietologist with your thoughts and don't forget to share it with a family member, friend or colleague and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and hit follow wherever you are listening and I will catch you in the next episode, everyone. Bye. Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast, acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connections to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to First Nation cultures and to the elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all First Nations people tuning in today. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Aura Nation.